Hey, thank you, front row, for being nice to me. Hey, 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 hey. My name's Alice, Alice Shirey, thank you. And um, are the Bible people here yet? No. The Bible people, okay, the Bible people are coming through, and I want as many of you guys to take a Bible as need one, okay? Because we're going we're gonna to work our way verse by verse through a really important text. So grab a Bible. While I'm talking about myself for a second, open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Right? Thank you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the third gospel in the New Testament. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to say a couple things about myself briefly. My name's Alice Shirey. I'm the leader of the team of teachers here at Orchard. I started 20 years ago teaching as a volunteer, sweet little teacher lady. I was a super awkward teenager when I was your age, so you guys make me nervous because I feel like 14 again, 16, and oh, you guys are so cool and I'm not. I have a chocolate lab named Stella, whom I love with my whole heart. I once lived in London for one year. I rode crew in college, but I never rode crew in an actual crew competition. I just was on the crew team. And I once ate a camel burger in Morocco. So that's all you need to know about me. Here we go. Gospel of Luke. Do you guys have your Bibles? Okay. Before we dig in, I want you to go on a little imaginary journey with me. I want you to imagine that you decided to throw a party. Okay? And I want you to imagine that it was a wedding. Just, let's just do this for the sake of imagination. Okay? Don't get worried about this. Okay? So you're going to throw a massive wedding. And you decided you were going to spend some massive portion of your life savings on this party. Okay? So you needed food, drink, dancing, all the things that anybody would need for a party. And everybody in your town or your city or in your friend group wanted to come. So you made plans, you set a date, and you sent out your invitation, right? Because that's how this works. You send out an invitation, and on that invitation, you had information on it about when this party was going to take place. You had your date, your time, your location, and you let people know, this is going to be big. And people responded, because that's what people do. They sent in their little RSVP card, right? And many of them, many, many, many of your friends said, yes, we will be there. And once you got those RSVP cards back, you started to make plans, the real plans. You figured out how many people were coming, they promised you they would come, and so you started to buy food. That's right, appears to be a lot of olives that you purchased. You rented a huge party tent, seriously. You bought cases and cases of drinks. Look at those nice drinks you bought. You decorated and you hired a band. Big band. This is an epic event. You got help in the kitchen, right? You had everything. You forked out all your money for this event, and then the day came. 
And just as you were arriving at the venue, ready to go, a friend calls you on your phone, and they say to you, you know what, I can't come. I have a hangnail. Oh. <laughs> Do you guys know how hard I had to look on Google Images to find that? That's right, I hang now. I can't come to your party, I need to stay home and fix it. All right, you're like, okay. You head on into the venue and someone else calls. Another friend, and they say, you know what? My sister's aunt's friend's cousin's nephew's roommate's neighbor has come to town. And it's really important that I have dinner with him. I can't come to your event, I'm super sorry. Okay, you're a little ticked, but you're hanging in there, right? You head in, and one last straw. One more friend calls and says to you, you know what, I'm so sorry, I know I said yes to you, but I just got tickets to the local kindergarten chess tournament. And I had to decide between your party and the chess tournament, and I'm just so sorry, I can't come. And at this point now, you're like, are you serious? And you're just really pissed. <laughs> okay? And so you say, you know what? You know what? That's fine. That's just fine. If my friends can't come, let's just invite the guys who came here to put the party tent up. Are they still here? You know those guys. Yeah, them. Let's invite them. What? They're all sweaty? They have t-shirts and shorts on, and this is a fancy wedding event. I don't care. They don't feel like they deserve to come. They aren't good enough. They don't think they could ever pay me back for this epic party that I'm throwing. I don't care. All the better. Compel them to come. Grab them by the hand and pull them in. Force them to come to this party. Oh, what is that you say? There's still room? Invite the cleaning staff. That's right, the cleaning staff I hired to clean up after the event. Invite them, and you know what else? Because now you're just kind of getting on a roll, right? Now you say, go across the street. You see that dive bar across the street? Invite everybody from the bar, all of them. Even the guys who are drunk at the bar. See them? Invite them in. What's that you say? It's a strip bar? Now I got your attention, don't I, high school students? <laughs> Perfect. Invite all the strippers. Cue the slide, Topher. Sorry. <laughs> Invite them all. Because, I, stay with me, please. I want my banquet full. Can you even imagine this happening? It's a ridiculous story, isn't it? Over the top, even a bit offensive maybe, probably not to you guys, but it was to the adults that I told it to in the real church setting. So if you're in the Gospel of Luke and you turn to chapter 14, you'll soon learn why I told you that story. Jesus... In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, we find him eating a meal 
in the house of a prominent religious leader and a community leader. And Luke wants us to know right at the beginning of chapter 14 that Jesus was being carefully watched. He was being carefully watched by the religious leaders. And the first thing that Jesus does while he's being carefully watched is he heals a man right in front of the Pharisees on the Sabbath, which is a big no-no, right? So he just starts off on the wrong foot. Then he notices while he's at this banquet at this very prominent religious person's home, he noticed how all the guests at this meal have picked places of honor for themselves to sit in. And so he gives them a little talking to about how this isn't really how he thinks people should live. And he talks to them about how those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I'm sure this little talking to that he gave them went over about as well as all my wise motherly advice goes over now with my adult children. Not well. Then, as if Jesus hasn't ticked off the religious people enough, he tells his host, listen, next time you throw a party, don't just invite your friends and your family. Don't just invite people who are just like you, who are just as popular as you, or just as prominent as you. Don't just invite the people who can pay you back, okay? What I want you to do next time you throw a party is I want you to invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. FYI, none of those kinds of people were at this party. But Jesus said... And if you invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to your party, guess what? You will be blessed at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what he mentions in verse 14. And and when a good Jew, those were the people in the room, when a good Jew hears the phrase resurrection of the righteous, they know that Jesus is talking about what's going to happen at the end of time. Right? So Jesus heals a person, he, he gives them a talking to about sitting in the highest places of honor, and then he tells them, look, next time you throw a party, I want you to invite all the people that you always exclude. And then some guy in verse 15 yells out, it says, when one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And when I was reading this and I was studying this, I I pictured this guy as like your drunk uncle, right? The guy who always comes to Thanksgiving, drinks too much, and then just blurts things out at the table and no one knows what he's talking about. I mean, this guy just blurts this out in the middle of this religious party. And it's almost as if this guy were saying... Aren't we all so thankful, Jesus, that we're the ones who are going to be at the big final banquet table of God at the end of time? I mean, just look at us. We're all so religious, and we're all so prosperous, and we're all so righteous. Right, Jesus? Right? We're the ones who are going to be at the banquet table at the end of time. And I picture Jesus just staring at this guy and staring at all the other religious leaders in the room with a glint in his eye. And then he starts in on the story that we're going to look at tonight. 
right in verse 16. So pick it up there in your Bibles, Luke 14, verse 16. This is the setup to the parable. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Okay? There's the opening line. And all of Jesus' listeners knew that when a rabbi paints this picture of a great banquet, he was referring to what the Jews pictured as the eternal heavenly banquet of Jesus, of God. Okay? So Jesus continues. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Okay? So I want you to picture this. The banquet is ready, and the thrower of the banquet sends his servants out into the villages and tells people to come. Now, we Westerners don't really understand what's happening here, but I want you to understand what was happening in the ancient Middle East when this story was told, because this parable assumes what's called a double invitation. Okay, this was very common in the ancient Middle East. I want you to think about trying to throw a party with no phone, no mail, no fridge, no ovens, no prep kitchens, no nothing. Okay, so what would happen is a servant of the person throwing the party would come around to the villages and make the primary invitation personally. They would have to walk around and literally say to people, my master is going to throw a great banquet sometime off in the future, and he wants to know, can you come? And everyone who was invited back in those days, because most people were poor, most people didn't have enough food to eat, everybody would have said, yes, I'll come. I mean, here's a rich guy going to throw a big party, and he, his servant came to invite me to come. And the only question that person would want to ask is, how soon can I come over? The initial invitation goes out by way of the servant. And then, once everything was ready, right? So the, the person throwing the banquet had to get everything ready. All the preparations were complete. And the servant would come back again to all the people who, who had said they would come. And he would say to them, listen, now's the time. The meat is on the grill. The party you said you would come to is happening right now. The wine is uncorked, the butter is melting, the bread is on the table. you got to come to the party right now. That is what's happening here in this story in verse 17 when it says, At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been, been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But look what happens. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Okay. Time out. The idea that you would turn down this final invitation, that, that you would offer up some lame excuse, 
when all the expenses had been expended, while all the tablecloths were out and the candles were lit and the flowers were placed, I mean, in the Jewish mind, the people who were listening to Jesus tell this story, it was absolutely unthinkable and it was just laughable. The people in the room, like, we're not laughing now, but I picture the people in the room that Jesus was telling this story to were howling with laughter because these excuses were so lame. And those people listening to this story, remember, all these religious leaders in the room, right? They were throwing a grand party for themselves, didn't invite anybody who didn't belong. And those listening to Jesus tell this story would have been thinking, what a bunch of boneheads. What a bunch of losers. What a bunch of mambos. Where is Jesus going with this story, right? They're elbowing each other and hooting and hollering and having a great time. And Jesus is just getting ready to drive the point in farther and farther. Verse 21, right? So all the people made these excuses to the servant. Verse 21, the servant came back, right? So the party's all set to go. The servant comes back and reported this to his master. He's like, look, they're not going to come. They have a bunch of lame excuses, and look what happens. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Do you remember at the beginning of chapter 14 who Jesus said to this religious leader, next time you throw a party, remember who to invite, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And then here he tells a story where he says the master was so angry at the excuses that he said go out into the streets and pull these people in. And, and I happen to believe it is at this moment that all the laughter in the room stops. None of these guys think this story's funny anymore. It, this story just took a really bizarre turn for them, the listeners. Right? So what's happening in the story, the excuses start to roll in, and the host says, fine. If you're going to give me a lame excuse why you're not going to come to the party of the century, I'm going to just invite other people. And what I'm going to do is find people who won't have a lame excuse for my party. I'm going to invite the exact people who shouldn't have been invited to the party in the first place. And here's the cultural and religious sting of what Jesus does here. Here's why this story hurt his listeners. There's no way in the ancient Jewish world that a wealthy man throwing a big banquet would ever, ever, ever invite the poor and the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I mean, are you kidding me? How offensive. Because this group of people, this exact group of people, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, would never be considered as possible guests at God's final banquet. These people had been excluded their whole life from the religious world because of their imperfections. In, in fact, this kind of exclusion was biblical. It's right in the book of Leviticus. 
So, so these guys who excluded the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame were doing so because they read it in their Bible, the Old Testament. These guys had every right to be excluders. And so here comes Jesus. And he tells a story that alludes to God as a host who would bypass distracted, invited guests and immediately beat the bushes to invite those who were considered religious and social rejects. I mean, this just blew the minds of everybody listening, and not in a good way. I mean, these people were offended. This is one of the reasons Jesus got killed. This is even more offensive than me mentioning strippers in my opening story. The story giggles, a little hysterical laughter. The story continues. Sir, this is verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus pushes the knife in just a little further for his listeners here, and all of a sudden, in verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And cut scene. Dude. Jesus is at a party in the home of a wealthy religious leader, and he's surrounded by the religious elite of his day, all of whom considered themselves shoe-ins for a seat at God's great eternal banquet table. And Jesus just told a parable about two different kinds of people. The first kind of person that he told the parable about are people who think they, of course, are going to get to come to the final eternal banquet of heaven. They think it's their right to be invited because they're so religious. And just look at them. They miss the party because of their own excuses. These are the people who are at great risk of being excluded from the eternal wedding party of God. And Jesus told a story about the second kind of people who get to come to this big party. And I don't know if you've ever been invited to a party like this, but you get to come to a big party and you can't even figure out how you got an invitation. They can't believe they've been given a privilege of a seat at the table. And shockingly, these were the exact people that Jesus' listeners constantly dismissed as defective, and they constantly banned from the heavenly banquet because of their own brokenness, and it was so offensive. And they listened to Jesus tell this story, and they must have thought, who does he think he is? Now, why did Jesus tell his listeners this kind of parable. I mean, if he wanted to gather people to himself, why didn't he tell some kind of warm and fuzzy story, right? 
Jesus was saying, I am the final invitation to God's great eternal banquet, right? I am the sign that the meal is ready, that the table is set, that the candles have been lit, that the wine is uncorked, the lamb is about to be slain, the bread and the wine are about to be placed on the table. And, and everybody listening would have understood what he was talking about. He's saying, I'm the final call. And the people he is with in this room, the ones who prompted this story, are first of all obsessed with rules, right? Their first rule was you can't heal on the Sabbath. And the very first thing Jesus did was heal on the Sabbath. They're arrogant enough to still be fighting over who gets to sit at the, at the best seats at the dinner party. I mean, I used to do that when I was a kid, fight to who got to sit by the, at the best seat at the dinner table. But these are grown, I almost said, I swear, these are grown people. These are grown-up men. Sorry. And these are people fixated on staying within their own homogeneous, religious, ethnically pure circle of friends. They don't want anybody else to come into their little circle. They think the kingdom of God is going to be filled with people who look and act and talk and think just like they do. And their understanding of the kingdom of God extends only as far as their own neighborhood boundaries. And they made the fatal error of staying with racial, ethnic, religious bigotry. And Jesus will not stand for it. He didn't stand for it then, and he won't stand for it today. And along with these things, they're rejecting Jesus, who's standing right in front of them. And Jesus basically says to them, fine. My father's throwing a party, and his guest list is so broad, and it's so surprising, and who's going to show up on that day is maybe going to be offensive to you. Because the expected might be absent, and the unexpected will probably be present, and the marginalized, and the oppressed, and the blemished, and the poor, and the crippled, and the blind, and the lame, and those in the ditches of life, and in the back alleys, and in the strip bars, they're going to be my guests of honor. So if you don't want to come to the kind of party my father's throwing because your rules matter more to you than people, that's fine. I'm going to fill your seats because I want my banquet table full. And I'm going to invite those who aren't excluding others from their own tables. I'm going to invite all those people who never thought they were worthy of an invitation in their first place. And I'm going to watch them come running. You decide. And that's how he leaves the parable here. There's no neat little tidy, let's make everybody feel good bow at the end of this parable. This parable is meant to be a sucker punch. It was meant to be a sucker punch back then, and it was meant to be a sucker punch today to take our breath away and to leave us with one question that will challenge our life direction and our priorities and our focus and our excuses. And that's how I want to leave it too tonight. Because here's the truth, and Jesus was so clear about this, and he made no apologies. God is throwing a party, an eternal party. It's not going to be an eternal church service, y'all. It's going to be an eternal party. It's going to be crazy, raucous, 
everyone is invited kind of party where religious leaders are going to share a meal with strippers and where the people will matter more than religious rules. And the question is, for every single one of us, are you going to come? And who are you going to bring with you? Let's pray. God, we forget that sometimes your son Jesus told stories that are hard. But he tells hard stories because he so desperately loves people. And he so hates it when religious people start to think it's our job to decide who's in and who's out. When it's just God's job, And our only job is to say yes to the party invitation, yes when the inviter shows up again and tells us the meal is almost ready, and then yes to every single other human being who would like to get a seat at the table. God, help each one of us tonight to think about what our excuses are. And help each one of us tonight to think about whether or not we're the kind of people who are inviting the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to a seat at the great banquet table of Jesus. Amen.